From Washington, this is Political Theater, Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Supreme Court nominations always provoke big fights, but the current one over Brett Kavanaugh has gotten downright nasty. With a sexual assault allegation, claims of bad faith, and the threat of ominous political effects for years to come. It begs the question, where do we go from here? Todd Ruger, CQ Roll Call's Supreme Court correspondent, and Kate Ackley, CQ Roll Call's campaign finance reporter, are here to discuss. Welcome to you both. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Where we're at, we are we're at a, a bit of a pause. There's a bit of a almost sort of the stalemate with the Judiciary Committee. They originally were going to call Brad Kavanaugh uh, and his uh, the woman who has accused him of sexual assault back in high school, uh, Christine Blasey Ford, to to testify in public. We're at a little bit of a standoff right now. But Todd, one of the things that you wrote about is, is that. On, on the day that this was scheduled, I mean, you got a, an inkling that life life does go on for the Supreme Court. They have to start making decisions before uh, Kavanaugh's fate is decided one way or another about the coming term. And then you got into a little bit about like what some of the fights that we're seeing now may portend for the Supreme Court's future. Let, let's talk a little bit about this, because this seems the, the process that we're seeing right now seems just I mean, it's always contentious, but this seems to have gone kind of up to 11. Yeah, or 12. It's like Spinal Tap 2. It keeps going up by the day, even. Uh, And so what you have right now is, as you mentioned, these news cycles, it's turning every day. They set on Monday, they were were still set to have a hearing, a public hearing to air this accusation. They want to have Brett Kavanaugh testify. They want to have Ford testify. I mean, this this is going to be televised. It's going to be a spectacle. Everyone's going to be watching it uh, if it happens. Uh, there is some doubt on that now, but uh, there are negotiations about how that could happen. Uh, Ford doesn't want to do it until there's an FBI investigation. So there's going to be this huge televised circus on Capitol Hill. Across the street is the Supreme Court. They're going to be meeting for their their conference to c- consider hundreds of cases and decide which few of those cases they want to take up in the next term. And McConnell has always been push. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has always been pushing for uh, a quick vote to get Kavanaugh on the bench before the term starts. Term starts October 1st. So this has really thrown a wrinkle in that. And the justices always maybe had an idea that they would be starting this term shorthanded with eight, which means there's the possibility of tie votes since there's four liberals, four, four liberals, four conservatives, and, um, and, and Brett Kavanaugh would be a deciding vote. But uh, if Kavanaugh is not there or another nominee, you know, if, he, if his nomination gets stopped, then uh, they could be working shorthanded again. Last time we saw that was when uh, Justice Antonin Scalia died in February of 2016. Way back in 2016. Right. Well, but, and then... <laughs> Seems and then like a decade ago. The Republicans, Mitch McConnell said at that time, we're not going to fill this, uh, we're not going to consider Merrick Garland, which is Obama's nominee. And the court sh- operated shorthanded for uh, close to a year, a year. A little over a year, yeah. And um, and so they they know how to do it. Uh, but they're going to be making these decisions right now, uh, kind of thinking, uh, which cases do we want to go into next term? And with all the heat about this seat, uh, some legal experts told me, yeah, you know what, maybe maybe they don't dive into these contentious cases, the, the, the abortions, uh, you know, overturning Roe v. Wade. If they have a chance and if they have a choice, 
they might just be backing off and going a little slow. And Kate, speaking of just the process itself, one of the things that uh, that that you wrote about just very you know very recently is that there, the the Supreme Court actually did let this one decision stand. Uh, it was a it was about disclosure of of uh, political spending. We actually did a podcast earlier this summer about a documentary called Dark Money. The the court does sort of keep keep going. I mean, let's talk a little, just a teeny bit about that case, and then we'll get into some of the, the voter issues that you're seeing. Sure. Well, there's this case that goes back to 2012, where the uh, sort of liberal-leaning group Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington uh, filed a complaint with the Federal Election Commission saying that this conservative group, Crossroads Grassroots Policy Strategies, Crossroads GPS, needed to disclose more about its donors. Uh, This Crossroads group is a 501c4 nonprofit organization. It's not a super PAC. It's connected to a super PAC. This uh, case has been winding its way through the the FEC and the courts. And on August 3rd, when we were all out on vacation and nobody was paying attention, a a lower court said, even despite 30 years of this FEC, 30 plus years of this FEC regulation, uh, basically said the FEC needed to revise this regulation so that uh, 501c4 groups, it, when they make what's called independent expenditures, campaign sort of style ads, but that are not in coordination with a candidate or a political committee uh, or political party, that they would need to then disclose anyone who gives more than $200 to them for those ads. This would be huge, maybe. But what happened is Crossroads GPS and its lawyers, including former FEC chairman Michael Toner, petitioned the Supreme Court for an, basically an emergency intervention. Please block this order. Over the weekend, um, the um, chief justice said, OK, you can have an emergency stay. That seems to have just been something to do over the weekend. Then it must have been that all the justices got together and they decided uh, on Tuesday, said that lower court ruling stands and the FEC needs to come up with these new regulations. I don't think this is going to be the end of this case. I mean, it's already on appeal. Um, I was speaking to one really plugged in Republican campaign finance lawyer today who would only kind of talk to me off the record, basically, who said that his thought is that groups like these C4s, that the only reason that they can get money, they can get donations Mm -hmm. is because they can promise anonymity to the donors. If you donate to a super PAC, you don't get anonymity. You get disclosed. There's a lot of people call super PACs dark money. These uh, social welfare 501c4 organizations are really the the apparatus of dark money. So basically what this lawyer was telling me is that if this decision continues, it could put those types of groups out of business in Mm -hmm. terms of doing uh, election ads. And so, Tana, this is a a great example of, you know, the the court may not want to touch this until they have a a ninth vote. I mean, even though, as Kate, you know, outlined here, they made a decision uh, over the weekend to let the lower court ruling stand, eventually, you know, this will find its way back to the Supreme Court. And at that point, they're probably going to need, you know, a ninth justice, which puts us where we're at, which is that, is the situation ever going to get any better? Are we ever going to, is it ever, is the Supreme Court ever going to return to a sort of a pre-blood sport type of situation, which we seem to find ourselves in now, um, increasingly, um, regardless of how Kavanaugh's conf- you know, confirmation process plays itself out. Is this just what politics is like now with the Supreme Court? Politics has been 
pretty wild around Supreme Court nominations for decades now. Start going back to I think uh, the Bork nom- Robert Bork was nominated, and it, and uh, there was a, a, a really aggressive campaign by Democrats, television ads, everything to to stop it, and he was stopped. Uh, he was voted down, and then. Um, the last nominee to actually be voted down on the floor. Yeah, yeah maybe even the only yeah. one. I'm not sure. But um, but, th- but then during this Kavanaugh process, justice, current justices from both sides have really decried what's happened to the confirmation process. Uh, justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, made an appearance this, this month in, at George Washington University Law Center. The way it was was right. The way it is is wrong. (laughs) The vote on my confirmation was 96 to 3. Even though I had spent about 10 years of my life litigating cases under the auspices of the ACLU board, uh, ACLU, and not a single question. No senator asked me any question about that. It was the same for Justice Breyer, who was nominated a year later. He had in Or think of Justice Scalia, who is certainly a known character in, in what was it, 1986? The vote was unanimous. But that's the way it, it should be. Instead of what it's become, which is a highly partisan show, um, I wish I could wave a ma- magic wand and have it go back to the way it, the way it was. Justice Gorsuch. Uh, who was Trump's first pick, was 54, yeah. got 54 votes, and, and it's just sort of steadily declined the number of votes, and it's gotten just more um, you know, partisan. Uh, and uh, Justice Kagan said that, Justice Thomas made comments, public comments like this. And so they're totally aware of, mm-hmm. of this process, and they're totally aware of how much that uh, influences the public perception of the Supreme Court as a political institution. They, they very much want to say they're apolitical and they make decisions based on the law because that's where their power comes from. If they, they just, Chief Justice John Roberts has uh, said this many times where uh, if, if as an institution they think it's political, then, then they won't respect our decisions. And so he's very guarded about the court's reputation. A lot of people think that's why he voted the way he did on the original uh, 2010 health care law to save it because he didn't want the court to look like a partisan 5-4 striking it down. And um, and so, yeah, I mean, this this could probably, particularly the fight that we have right now, which is this old, decades-old sexual allegation uh, coming to light and how are we dealing with this? And the Republicans are really seeing what they think is a, a political attack against their their candidate and and uh, a lot of people say if this happens this time, what's going to stop it from happening next time when the shoe's on the other foot or the part other parties in control? It's hard to imagine a point at which both sides say time out. Let's go back to a more civil time. For instance, uh, Senator Chris Coons made a comment about going back and adding a filibuster in for judges or, or something like that, and immediately the advocacy groups were saying, "Oh, come on." 
you know, you got to be tougher. You got to be, you got to fight more. You can't have any of this middle ground stuff. So th- there doesn't seem to be an end to sight. And, and Kate, one of the things that you've been following too is just the like how these different advocacy groups and people who are trying to like groups that are trying to motivate voters are using this as an issue. Uh, and there is there's been a lot of chatter about again, regardless of of whether Kavanaugh is confirmed or or not confirmed or withdraws. I mean, th- this is a a possibly motivating factor, particularly for women in the, in the November elections. It is, but I also think that women aren't looking at this debate just by based on their gender. I think like uh, men, uh, they're looking at it through this prism of their partisanship um, or their political affiliation. So you see liberal women who are already very much ramped up in sort of a resistance uh, to the Trump administration and the Republican Congress and to uh, President Trump's court nominees, in- including Kavanaugh despite the allegation. And I think that you then see liberal women, this is yet another and obviously very dramatic reason to oppose Kavanaugh. But on the Republican side, you're seeing a lot of Republican women, including ones who don't know Kavanaugh, (laughs) who are saying, you know, this isn't right. He should be voted on and confirmed and all that. So I I actually don't know that it's going to change anyone's opinion or motivate women voters in a way that is different than how they are already motivated? Well, I mean, one thing that seems obvious, and, and it's, it's almost, I, I almost feel nervous having been just talking to you all for the last 15 minutes because I'm afraid that we've missed something uh, in, in, in this news cycle. So there's a lot, lot, of, lot of ground to cover, but I really appreciate you kind of sharing your thoughts about where we go from here because it's easy to get caught up just in the in this sort of nonstop news. So thank you very much, Kate, Todd, for, for talking. Yeah, thank you. I'm Jason Dick. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast apps such as iTunes, NPR One, or Spotify. And please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, including Kate's and Todd's, visit RollCall.com or visit us on Twitter at RollCall. Thanks for listening. 